Welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm Lynn Galadner, a writer, entrepreneur, and changemaker, and I've dedicated my life to sharing stories of how people make meaning in their work and find purpose in their lives. This podcast highlights some of the great ideas and activities people do every day to make the world a better place. So much of the meaning we find comes from interacting with great people, developing relationships that are mutually beneficial, and doing work that inspires. I hope you'll be inspired by the people you meet on this podcast. We all need to find a way to make meaning in the mundane. I'm Lynn Galadner, and today I'm going to speak with Philomena Mantella, president of Grand Valley State University. Philomena is the first female president to lead this West Michigan University. She assumed the leadership role in July of 2019 as the university's fifth president. With a PhD in college and university administration from Michigan State University, Philomena spent 18 years at Northeastern University and is known as one of higher education's leading entrepreneurs. She is a change agent who brings deep understanding of the educational market and is dedicated to innovating the way education is delivered. Philomena Mantello, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Thank you very much, Lynn. It's a pleasure to be talking with you. Well, it's such an honor. I was really excited when I heard um, that you were tapped to be the next president and the first female president of Grand Valley. Um, And as the mom of four teenagers who are looking at colleges, Grand Valley is definitely on our radar. So it's really exciting to see you in that leadership seat. Um, And I'm really impressed with your... um, quite your quite an accomplished career in higher education. So I want to start with a very big question that I'm sure everybody is thinking about. But today with our nation focused on so many questions about the state of higher ed and with 2020 being a presidential election year, I'm sure one of the questions you hear often is what we can do to resolve the student loan crisis. So let's go big when we start here and ask you, you know, what are your thoughts on this situation? Yeah, um, well, thank you, and I'm, I'm glad that we are on your uh, sons and daughters. Is it, is, do you have both sexes? Two of each, two of each. Two of each <laughs> yes. um, radar, so that's, that's great to hear. Um, the loan crisis, like any other systemic crisis, I think has to be viewed from a variety of different angles. So um, the, I think the first is the question around transparency of, price and simplicity of price and aid. So we have a lot of complexity on the way universities um, look at their charges that makes an informed decision on behalf of an individual or their child difficult. Um, And so the more that we can get clear and transparent to the cost of the degree, the more people can make informed decisions. So I think that's one piece. I think a a second piece is we have to... um, begin to uh, to curtail the escalation of price in higher education. We need to look like every other um, industry on the kinds of opportunities that digital delivery and new kinds of efficiency can bring to the overall enterprise, and many times while increasing value. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you go from a face-to-face environment to a digital environment. Mm-hmm. But what are ways that we can um, sort of alter the cost curve in higher ed. Mm -hmm. And then I think that we need to start opening up the model of education to integrate work and learning in new ways, um, which can, by its nature, uh, curtail loan level and borrowing uh, Mm -hmm. as students would have income within their, you know, their pathway of education. 
And um, there's nothing sacrosanct around the way in which we sort of think about leaving high school, coming to a university, leaving the university, going to work. So there's much more opportunity, I think, to integrate pathways, um, which will not only help with the cost of higher education and the loan levels, but also will help with the relevance and meaningfulness of what the student is studying. Well, you're right. And I I think that's a shift in perspective that um, I know I've had to make from when I went to college. Um, And actually, I'll tell you, I was on uh, the pom-pom squad when I was in high school in the 80s, and we had pom-pom camp at Grand Valley. So um, it was before it was a university, it was a college at the time. So I've been there, but that was a very long time ago. (laughs) So um, (laughs) That's great. But that shift in perspective is so important, and it it actually brings me to something that you had said in your pre-interview about how you don't want education to be bipolar, meaning education for life and education for work. And I thought that was just a really brilliant way to say it because – um, you know, it used to be a luxury to go to college and, you know, just have fun and explore and take different classes and then, you know, figure out your work situation afterwards. And I think that we're seeing that change and, and it's a welcome change because, um, you know, there should be a purpose to it. There should be um, a vision for what your path is and why you're choosing this university and this um path of study and that kind of thing. So, you know, tell me a little bit about that thought about not making education bipolar and how we can resolve that sort of identity crisis. Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many different perspectives on um, on how our attitudes about work and learning can, if we allow them to fuse uh, rather than to be at the extremes, mm-hmm. um, can enable us. So, um, for one thing, it would make our classrooms more diverse mm-hmm. uh, because we would have people at all different socioeconomic levels thinking about how they can integrate their learning plan with their earning plan. Yeah. Whereas you were describing, you had an, a learning plan, and and again, like many of us, deferred um, the the earning plan. Right. Um, the the notion of a curriculum that is, you know, liberal education is about life skills and professional education is about work skills is just, it, it, it's, it's kind of a silly notion when you think about it, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. we are only, we're one person, a whole person, and whatever we learn is informing both of those dimensions, how I live my life and how I do my work. Right. And so I think it would serve us well to allow these things to have new kinds of fusions. Mm-hmm. Um, we all know the stories of the, you know, the, the student, your classmate that was pursuing a career in education. And when they got to teachers, um, they got to their practice period mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in their education degree. They said, oh, I don't really enjoy this work. And <laughs> yeah. so there's such an opportunity to just infuse. It doesn't have to take students um, dramatically away from the model that you and I went to, but just to infuse more experiences that are real work based earlier in the curriculum allows students to test themselves, to think, to reflect, to enhance their plan, um, and to allow more integration between the liberal education and the professional studies Mm -hmm. also allows that. So I I like to think of that uh, as that integration is a real powerful 
Uh, vehicle. Absolutely. You know, you, you had also mentioned um, that education in the United States has been guided mostly by exclusion, which, you know, my description of my my experience definitely enforces that notion. Um, and I, I found that fascinating. And so I wanted to know if you would share with our listeners what you mean by this. And then let's talk about how we can realistically re-envision a different model for education. Yeah, I mean, if we think about whatever your framework is for thinking about the best institutions, largely they tend to be the institutions that are most selective. Mm -hmm. And most selective means that you're encouraging thousands of applicants to apply and you're excluding the majority and taking the few best, however best is defined. And if we think about that model of the need for education over a lifetime and the need to include those, for which they, they, the individual may not have had the same opportunities or the same preparation, but has the same capabilities, right. then it needs to call us to a place to say, how do we get to yes for a number of students? So that doesn't mean we just open our doors and say, okay, you're all ready and we homogenize us all into one learning experience. But we need to think of what are the supports and scaffolding for more to be included. Sure. Not how do we, um, how does our institution brand um, elevate by more being excluded? Right. Well, yeah, and I think that um, that's a shift in perspective, too, because um, we've all, you know, we live in a big brand culture where we want to make our purchases, our acquisitions um, in, you know, known um, quantities, known places. And um, that happens with higher education. And it is a shift in the model and the perspective to a new reality where, you know, it's not, I always tell my kids, it's not where you go to college, it's what you do with it and the relationships you make and the, you know, the way you immerse in what you're learning. Um, so where's the best opportunity necessarily isn't the most quote unquote competitive or, um, big brand name university. It might be something that no one's ever heard of, but it's a really great fit for that person. And they can have that best that best experience there for themselves. So um, it's, again, it's a shift in perspective. And, and I feel like the mission of higher education has changed um, or maybe needs to change. And I know that you've said that education be, should be more of a network than a linear path, which is part of what we're talking about with, you know, education for life and education for work. Um, but what do you see as that mission for higher education today? Well, I, I think the mission of higher education is ha- it has to equip people with what they need for inclusive inclusive prosperity in their life. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, this is a conversation in making meaning. So inclusive prosperity means that I've been able to have a meaningful life for myself. I've been able to um, economically do what I'd like to do with my life and what I'd like to give back in my life and in my community. So it's not a narrow, you know, economic prosperity, but it's a, it's a wider aperture lens mm-hmm. about how we prosper individually in our communities and through our sort of economics. And so um, if we're going to have that more, again, more inclusive lens, then for some people it will be, you know, and we are an institution that enjoys a great deal of demand Mm -hmm. from first-time, full-time freshmen who come right out of um, high school. And we have a wonderful experience for students to immerse themselves fully in the college and university experience. Mm -hmm. But we also should have a place for those that want to 
work part-time while they're doing that. Sure. And we should also have a place for those who want to spend the predominance of their time in work and have the ability to pursue their education. So our models can't be one path supply chain models in which we point everybody to the same entry point and exit point, but they have to have more nuance, more on and off ramps that look like the lives we lead Mm -hmm. if we want to include more people in them. It's interesting because I know um, that this generation, possibly the immediate previous generation, um, for them, it's sort of an expectation that everybody will go to college. Um, But that really wasn't the case until these new generations. And um, there were many paths, you know, there were work paths and uh, vocational school, trade school, um, apprenticeship, you know, so many different opportunities, depending on where the person was. It seems like it's become this this homogenous expectation that everybody, no matter what their academic um, inclinations are or um, career goals, now is sort of pushed toward that higher education model. And I'm not sure that that's a benefit to our young people. How do you feel about that? Well, I think it stems from the notion that there's an either or path Mm -hmm. and We've created that notion ourselves, right? If you go into uh, a field for which an education degree isn't required, and then you opt to go into management in that very same field or or build your own company around a trade, Mm -hmm. then um, the notion is you're not college educated, you don't need college education. So the way in which we need to think about it, I think, is to figure to, to presume that these various paths have intersection points and that one can um, take a path that seems most aligned with their skills, but we're all evolving in our skills and our competencies and our ability and our interests, and that that path, it doesn't put you on a path for life but put you on a path for which you can make many other life choices down the down the road. Right, and it may not be at 18 that higher education is the, is the next step. It might be 20, 25, 30, and it's all valid um, according to what you need and what you're ready for. Because the worst thing that, that I think could happen is for someone to be pushed down that path and they're not ready, so they waste their resources and their time, and it actually corrodes their self-esteem, which we don't want. You know, So I really hope that the conversation can expand to include a variety of paths, a variety of timelines, so that um, you know everybody can can discover their purpose, can find their their meaningful path. You know. Yeah, and I think it brings us back, Lynn, to the sort of first question you asked, which was about loan debt levels. The yeah. sort of most the worst loan debt level is loan debt taken for students who didn't accomplish their end goal. Right. And so, to your point, most students that take on debt, most. Not all. Some take on too much debt. Mm-hmm. Um, but most students that take on debt have a good return on that debt investment as long as they get the degree that, or credential they were pursuing and it led to the field that they were pursuing. And so if we can eliminate those false starts for the reasons that you've indicated, yeah. what it does to your confidence uh, and the sort of self self-perception, right. and for the, the barriers it puts in the way, because once you've got a defaulted loan, mm-hmm. you've got new challenges, you know? Sure, 
Sure. I mean, and then, of course, feeling disgruntled about having to pay back loans that didn't lead you where you thought they would lead you. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very ripe conversation in our house because I'm encouraging my children to make um, responsible fiscal choices when they make their college selections. And so we've had a lot of conversations about that. And, um, you know, I have some bright kids, but that doesn't mean that where they're accepted is going to be the most affordable option. And so I've been trying to lay that groundwork um, to think about, you know, where is a place they can go and achieve the, the degree they want with the minimal amount of debt once they leave. So um, yeah. that it's, it's you know, it's complex, but it's simple math and we can, uh, or I, I hope it'll lead in positive directions for sure. But, you know, I wanted to well, pivot. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to make one comment because, you know, um, as the new president, as you introduced me of Grand Valley State University, one of the things that was really inspiring for me about Grand Valley was the breadth of the student backgrounds that we were serving. We literally represent every county in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, we um, The great price point that we're serving students at with a great deal of experiential learning and a whole range of professional programs mm-hmm. and the integration of liberal education and professional education. So, yeah. You know, in my world of, of spending a lifetime in higher education and, as you coined, um, really being concerned about the way in which the model needs to relate, sure. Grand Valley was sort of the perfect institutional fit for me because of the way it had built its university over many, many years. You know, and it's a great option in the state of Michigan because there's this big University of Michigan, Michigan State University, um, you know, the the big footprint. The, that's where you go. You go to one or the other. And I went to Michigan. Um, my I have family members who went to Michigan State. They're both great schools. They're huge schools. And now they're very, very competitive in terms of getting in. Um, but they're not the only places. And not everybody is a fit for a large university. Not everybody may have the high school grade point average to get into one of them, um, they might want a smaller, more intimate campus setting or um, just, you know, something different. And we have a lot of universities in this state, but I think Grand Valley is such a a happy medium between really, really huge, really, really small um, and just, you know, welcoming. And so I I know a lot of kids from our area who have chosen to go there and they're so happy. And um, I just, I'm glad that there are other options because, it's not always a fit to go to the big, big, huge university for people. So um, I think you guys are, have a sweet spot. I really do. Thank you. Yeah. So I want to pivot the conversation a little bit in the few minutes we have left. Um, you know, this is the Make Meaning podcast, and we always ask questions about how how do people make meaning? How do they find their purpose? And um, as I was doing all my research on you, um, I was um, really impressed that you've been married for more than 40 years and <laughs> <laughs> that you say that meaning comes in our relationships. So I hope you won't mind if I ask you about... Um, what you attribute this long success to and maybe advice you have for our listeners about um, building and growing um, a lifelong relationship. Yeah, that's, you're surprising me with that one. That's, uh, that's great. Well, I admire it. So I want to learn from what you're going to say. So, yeah. Um, you know, I think the first thing that came to mind as you were asking the question is really um, – a lot of time in reflection. You know, when you're going through life as partners, 
and you're making, and we've made a lot of compromises along the way, particularly, you know, I have a, a husband who um, has come with me here to, to pursue my dream of being a university president and, um, and in a supporting role, and that's unusual. And mm-hmm. so um, I'm, I'm very grateful, but I, I attribute a lot to it is self-reflection. Um, reflection as a couple, you know, what is this journey about? Why is it important to us? Um, how do we think about, you know, whether it's about your professional journey or whether it's about your philosophy on raising a child, mm-hmm. if you don't sort of get to the root of your thinking, then you're arguing the, the point, right? right you're sure. arguing the, the thing you find yourself in at the moment. So it's a lot of stepping back um, mm-hmm. that helped us um, in the challenging times. And that's great. And that's a nice model um, of stability and of hard work that, of course, for your children and for others who know you, um, I think that can really send a strong message. I mean, because you're right, meaning comes in our relationships and everywhere we go, we have relationships. And so it's really, you know, what do we put into them? Um, How do we, I guess, nurture and cherish those relationships so that we all benefit um, because that is the the framework for work, for education, for family life. Um, it all comes down to those relationships. You're exactly right. So um, you recommend putting purpose at our center. And I always ask my um, guests on this show how, what advice they would have for our listeners who are yearning to find their purpose. And I thought it was quite beautiful what you said, that purpose comes from looking beyond ourselves and seeing ourselves in the context of the world. So um, with that in mind, I'd love to ask you, you know, what you might offer our listeners in terms of you know, how do they find their purpose that they're yearning for? Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I, I think you um, you used my quote, and that's really what I what I feel is. It's just I I do think stepping back is an absolute key to life. Um, stepping back, taking self responsibility for the decisions and choices we make, reflecting on them, and continuously learning from them. When you step back. You see the others around you. You see that you're just not driving forward, but that everybody you touch, to your point earlier about relationships, you're having an impact on. And the more positive those touches can be, um, and it doesn't matter what career you're in or what um, what you're, you know, whether you're raising a family or you're living on your own or you're a missionary, mm-hmm. the more you can touch people in a positive way through those relationships the more we lift the others around us with um, our engagement or the work we do. And that in and of itself, I think, gives people a profound sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. When we're lifting only ourselves, then the purpose is only yourself. And so um, to me, it's about that broader context and how many people for which um, our touch point creates a more positive um, frame for them, more mm-hmm. opportunity for them, uh, another leadership lesson for them, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully the higher education framework provides um, sort of the that foundation for 
all the people who engage on our campuses to discover who they are and what their unique purpose is in this world and being open to that journey because you can start with one thought and maybe a, a really powerful conversation in a classroom or encounter with an inspiring professor um, or just, you know, opportunities on campus can lead us to a purpose we never imagined. And so um, then the future is just wide open ahead of us. Yes, absolutely. And thank you for the work you're doing with these Make Meaning podcasts. Oh, well, I appreciate it. We love chatting with people like you who are um, really powerful leaders that are inspiring us and uh, moving all of us forward. So Philomena Mantella, president of Grand Valley State University, thank you so much for being on the Make Meaning podcast today. You're welcome. Thank you, Lynn. Take care now. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'd love it if you would share our great conversations with your people so we can all add meaning wherever we go and whatever we do.